Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 158 of the Mo Money Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. And this one is great because it's a repeat guest. I have had this guest on before, like in the early days of the show. So if you're a longtime listener, you may remember me interviewing John Robertson um, about uh, DIY investing. Honestly, at that time, I really didn't know a heck of a lot of uh, about passive investing and index funds and all that kind of stuff. I was still kind of a noob myself. Um, but I really like chatting with him. I really like the book that he wrote called The Value of Simple, which really breaks it down. It's one of my go-to recommendations when people are asking, hey, totally get this whole, like, you know, that is a good strategy to do this passive investing for the long term and all that kind of stuff. But I don't even know, I don't know how to do it. And especially when you're Canadian and you're like, I just need someone to show me, you know, what accounts in, you know, where, what a brokerage is, all that kind of stuff. And I always refer them to his book, The Value of Symbol, because it breaks it down very clearly. This is how you actually do it. And uh, now, so many years after that first interview, uh, I am so much more confident in all that. I'm so much more knowledgeable about all of that. And I wanted to have him back on the show to have another conversation about investing where I kind of know a little bit more about what the hell I'm talking about. Um, now, you can find John on his website, holypotato.net. But he also has, on top of his book, The Value of Simple, a really great investing course too. It's a really good companion with the book. And it's called Practical Index Investing for Canadians. So obviously it is just for Canadians because it gets really specific for how to do this uh, in Canada. Um, but really great course. And uh, you can check that out, jessicamorehouse.com slash investing course. It'll take you right there. And uh, I will, of course, link to it in the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 158. Um, but before we get into that fabulous conversation about investing, uh, here's just a few words about this episode's sponsor. It's spring cleaning time, but I'm not talking about decluttering your home. I'm talking about taking this opportunity to organize your finances. If you want to prevent a headache next tax season and want to get your business in better shape this year, then this is the time to do something about it. Where should you start? Well, I use FreshBooks to keep my business in check, and you might want to do the same. For the past 13 years, FreshBooks has been making really intuitive cloud accounting software. And as a result, they've carved out a massive following of freelancers and self-employed folks, like myself. Not only is FreshBooks ridiculously easy to use, it also has a number of powerful features. You can create an invoice in under 30 seconds. You can make professional-looking proposals that include a project outline, scope of work, and timeline. You can even link your bank account so your business expenses are automatically added to FreshBooks. You see, there's a reason I've been using it for the past few years, and that's because it's simple and it works. And FreshBooks is offering Momoney Podcast listeners a 30-day unrestricted free trial when you go to freshbooks.com slash mo and enter Momoney Podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, go to freshbooks.com slash mo and enter Momoney Podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Thank you, John, for joining me on the podcast once again. Um, you were actually episode 25, and now we're over 150. So it's been a while. And that was actually like November 2015. It is 2018 now. That is insane how t- fly, you know, time flies. And you were nice enough when we did that first episode to actually, like, that was when I was trying to do most of my interviews in person, which was fun. But also logistically just impossible because eventually you run out of people that live near you. Um, but I remember you coming to my old apartment. Oh, good times. 
Well, thanks for having me on again. And, you know, always happy to chat about this whole investing world and uh, money in general. And I know. Anything else you want to talk about? I know. And, you know, when we did have that first, uh, you know, episode together, I really, when I think back of like those days when I lived in that apartment, just starting the podcast, I really had no clue really what I was doing with investing. I, I felt like I had everything else kind of figured out, but investing was that kind of missing piece. And I always felt like, honestly, a dummy. Like I felt like when I did talk to other people about investing, they would throw out you know, uh, terms and jargon. And I'd be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then later on, I'd have to Google it because I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And I, I think that's like the reason why I really like your book. I really like the course that you have and talking to you about investing because you're all about simplicity and that's what investing really should be. And and the more I know now, I mean, so many years later, I, I'm kind of baffled at how, what, like how I even thought it was complicated. Like investing really isn't complicated when you understand it, I think. Uh, so I kind of want to start there. Why do you feel like so many people think it's complicated or why do you feel like so many people overcomplicate it? Well, uh, it works both ways. First off, when it's unknown, it seems really complicated because there's all this language around investing that until you know it, you know, even some of it, like what's a mutual fund? What's a stock? Mm-hmm. What's interest? What's interest? compounded annual growth rate or Kiger and, and and these are all very understandable terms if you take some time to learn them a bit but when you don't know them it sounds like this whole foreign language that mm-hmm. people are speaking and it's intimidating it's yeah. really intimidating to try to pick this up uh, when you don't know it and some people uh, particularly in the industry act or do uh, know all this stuff and it seems really hard to like figure out what they're knowing what they already know and how to pick up all that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that can make it seem really scary and intimidating and complex, especially because there's so many different ways to invest. And that's yeah. part of why I'm such a huge fan of index investing, not just because of all of the academic research on you know performing, uh, mm-hmm. actively investing strategies and controlling your costs and all that, but just because it also really cuts out a lot of the complexity involved in investing. Yeah. You don't have to open up a stock screener and start looking for potential companies to invest like you would with uh, some active investing strategies. You just diversify broadly and buy everything. Exactly. Which is, I feel like when I first talked to you, I'm like, I'm totally sold. I totally like this idea. I remember also, I think it was episode seven, which was like really early on into the podcast. I talked to Barry Choi about DIY investing as well. And I'm like, okay, I like this idea, but I still had no clue how to actually do it. So that's why I really liked your book, The Value of Simple. I've got it right here. Um, because it actually, it's a, it, as it's called, a practical guide to taking the complexity out of investing. And there's actually a steps, which I like. It's like step one, step two, step three, step four. Of course, step four has lots of variations. Um, now, I know like you you released this book several years ago, and this was the second edition. Um, why did you re-release this book? What What's new in the book that people may um, want to check out? Well, the first thing that um, let me to re-release it is that I made a couple of changes just because the market changed around it. So part of what makes the book unique and really useful to a beginner investor is that I walk through step-by-step step how you actually like make these purchases because it's not quite the same as just buying a book on Amazon and, and the incentives aren't the same where trying to make a purchase of an ETF or a mutual fund uh, is not 
intuitive and the banks and brokerages don't make it super intuitive for someone who doesn't know what they're doing to just step in and buy something. Whereas, you know, online retailers really want to make it super intuitive and easy for you to buy something. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't work quite the same way there. And that can be a big barrier to people, even when they know what investing is, what their investing plan is, what they want to buy, actually getting out there and buying it can be a barrier to getting started because just how complex and how confusing using a brokerage screen that you've never seen is. So there's some screenshots in there along with the step-by-step instructions. And the problem is over the course of the years, every one of the institutions that I talk about has changed their flow and changed their screenshots. And I mean, once you had already learned how to do it, it's not a big deal that it's different. So once you already have your account open and they change things on you, you can continue to figure it out. But when you're learning it for the first time, what you're seeing on the screen doesn't match what you're seeing in the book. That makes it extra hard for people, and I didn't like that. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to re-release it with updated screenshots, updated step-by-step instructions for how they change things. Mm -hmm. And also the market changed because pretty much the day I sent the book to the printer, uh, Nest Wealth, Wealthsimple, and... Wealth Bar, and then after that, a whole bunch of other robo-advisor companies started coming out. So this whole yeah. new thing of robo-advisors, which is another great way for people to get investing. So when they want to get their money invested and they want to figure out how to do that, this became a fourth really good option alongside the other three that I detailed. So Absolutely. I want to talk about robo-advisors. Yeah, no, I, I really, I'm so glad that you did include that just because, yeah, like since we chatted, I don't believe, and that was, you know, maybe two and a half years ago, two years ago, robo-advisors wasn't, you know, part of the lingo. No one really talked about it. I knew lots of American bloggers were talking about it because that was starting to kind of become popular in the U.S., but in Canada, not so much. And a lot of things have changed. Like everyone's talking about robo-advisors now. And I'm a big fan of them just because for me, it is a great um like introduction or gateway into just getting yourself out of high cost mutual funds. And, but it's a good step before doing the DIY. I know a lot of people transition from mutual funds um, to a robo advisor just so they can, you know, start um, kind of uh, investing, uh, index investing with lower fees. And then as they get more comfortable with like the lingo and what's going on and how this robo advisor actually works, then they feel like they're a little bit more confident to take that. So it's a really nice like bridge, I'd say. Yeah. And I mean, even if you don't use it as a bridge, if you just invest yeah. with a robo-advisor forever, that's totally fine. And totally. I mean, they provide that investing at a much lower cost than uh, the other way, the traditional way of uh, investing without having to learn anything, which was going to a salesperson and having them set you up with a bunch of high fee mutual funds. And, and those yeah. high fees take out a huge portion of your uh, overall potential returns after you know a whole career of investing like 30 yeah. 40 years of investing exactly and cutting those down from like 2.4 percent or so which is fairly typical for a mm-hmm. retail mutual fund in canada to less than one percent which a robo advisor's own cost is going to be is great it's huge yeah and it's so simple too i mean lots of i think that's like the great thing about robo advisors they're completely online and you just basically have to have internet access to open up account and start going it's i, I have you know i uh, invest with two different robo advisors and it was a very simple process but what i enjoy most about them compared to when i did invest in mutual funds with you know the big banks or whatever um i find that they're a little bit more um, I don't know, clear or honest or transparent about what they're actually invested in. Like I still remember, and again, this was, you know, a lot to do with my level of investing knowledge, but whenever I did used to, you know, go to my old bank 
talk to my financial advisor there and be like, so what's going on with my investments? I felt like they would just talk, talk, talk and never really tell me, but what exactly am I? Like they'd be like, oh, you're in this specific mutual fund with this fancy name. I'm like, that's great. But what's in there? And they would never, and, and how much do they cost? Like what's the MER? And then they just like give me a sales pitch and they'd never like tell me specifically like what companies are in there and what's going on with it. And so eventually they just talk so much that I would just stop asking, <laughs> which is terrible. But I find with lots of these robo advisors, it's like you can open up your account and see exactly what ETFs are in there. And then you can take those you know, ETFs and go to another website like Morningstar or whatever to see specifically what companies are in there. So it's very like, it's just for me, it really kind of like was eye opening. Like, oh, well, that's simple. Why the freaking banks made it so complicated when I asked them? Yeah, and, and part of the issue there too is, um, you know, I don't talk about bank advisors. I talk about bank yeah. salespeople because yeah. really that's the role they're in. Even if the yes. little placard on their desk says advisor, a lot of the times they don't know very much more than you might yeah. because they are there to sell mutual funds and they've learned the minimum that they need to know to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm painting with a broad brush here and to be yeah. fair, some of them yeah, are. Not, yeah, not everyone's like that for sure, but yeah. I mean, in my experience, a lot of them have been. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But yeah, no, I I completely agree. I feel like, especially like the last one I had, like my experience is kind of twofold. I had one advisor with a big bank who was awesome, who was great, really liked him. And I felt like he did do a good job. He unfortunately left to go to another institution. So, and we didn't know where. And so we got this other guy and he was just like complete opposite, complete salesperson. And uh, which is a big reason why we left and, and then decided to move our money to robo-advisors. But uh, yeah, I just felt like the whole time he was trying to sell and wasn't, advising. And and that really did kind of open up my eyes to a lot of, you know, not everybody, but a lot of those advisors at big banks, um, they do have different incentives than say a fee only advisor, which is usually why when I talk to somebody and they're like, oh, I would like someone to kind of take care of my investments. I'm usually like, you should probably look into a fee only advisor instead of someone that works for a bank. Because I mean, sorry, like, you know, someone at, you know, one of the big banks isn't necessarily going to suggest you know, uh, funds that that big bank doesn't have some, you know, have their own type of, I mean, for our last um, mutual funds, looking back, I'm like, it it was all that bank's mutual funds. Like it's, and I I know um, on the book, um, A Millionaire Teacher by Andrew Hallam, I think there was a section on how he did kind of a a test with some people he knew and said, go to some of the big banks and, and ask them if they carry ETS or index funds. And all of them had a very tough time, even though those banks do actually have them. So again, you know, they have different kind of incentives. So just beware, or beware, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that's another issue though, is it's easy to say, buyer beware. Mm. But if you don't know what you're supposed to be aware of, it's very tough. And that's why you need something that's going to tell you, you know, what it is that, uh, investing is all about because you need to have at least a little bit of background knowledge Mm -hmm. to know whether or not you're talking to someone who's actually giving you advice and helping you invest in a way that sure is going to cost you some money but provide you value for that money or Mm -hmm. whether you're just talking to a salesperson who's trying to push like run-of-the-mill retail mutual funds on you at very high fees that aren't going to return value for what you're paying for. Exactly. Do you feel like a lot of this has to do with just Uh, just how things have evolved, like just the financial industry has evolved in the past several decades. I feel like, and I I don't know, but I I feel like when I was growing up, 
it was common practice. Like, you know, my parents and their, you know, their friends or whatever would go to like a big bank or, you know, financial advisor and they would have that person take care of things. And they don't say like, they didn't really get screwed. You know what I mean? Like they're doing fine. They're on their path to retirement. But for us, I feel like things have shifted in that in order for us to actually, you know, reach some of our financial goals and retire and have a good, you know, amount set aside for us, we really do need to be more informed. Like, why do you feel like it, it to me, uh, like I, I tell everybody, I'm like, you need to understand investing because no one else will really help you. Uh, even if they are a fee only advisor, you really do need to know what they're talking about. But I feel like in my, you know, older generations, you didn't really need, you could still get by and do fine without kind of that knowledge. Well, I mean, part of that is, the world that they were in, right? Yeah. Uh, Defined benefit pension plans were much more prevalent for them. So investing was like their fun money, their bonus to help enhance their retirement, not the core of their retirement savings. So even if they paid a whole bunch of fees and ended up with less than they could have, they still ended up with a fair bit at the end. And that's also a, a difficult thing. It's like, what's the counterfactual? What was the other option available to them. So even if they paid a bunch of fees, they still had money at the end and then they're living off that money and they seem like doing okay. Mm. But you don't see the case where if they had managed to invest in the same way, but saving half of that amount of fees for um, doing some of the investing and implementation on their own, just getting the advice part, mm-hmm. uh, then they might've been even better off than they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also other factors that go into that, like the housing market and whatnot, yes, which I'm just true. not going to get into right now. But. I know. <laughs> um, what I would like to get into actually is just like talking about some of the steps that you really go into in the book, which I think are super important. Basically, it seems like putting into practice, um, you know, index investing, you've uh, kind of broken it into four steps. And then the fourth step is kind of a couple of different steps, kind of depending on what avenue you want to go into. What, uh, so I'll kind of just go through them quickly. We can kind of touch on each of them. So step one is make a plan. Step two is determine your risk tolerance and asset allocation. Step three is account allocation. And then step four is create an account and invest. And that could be with a number of different ways. You can use Tangerine, a robo-advisor, TD Direct Investing, investing in ETFs. Um, so let's first talk about make a plan. Now, what do you mean by that? Do you mean first make a financial plan for yourself? Or wh- what do you mean by that? At least some structure of a plan. So ideally, you're going to create a really nice, detailed financial plan with some alternatives. You're going to lay out what your priorities are, why you're doing all of this. Um, And there's lots of great books out there that you can read that will go more into Mm -hmm. planning. And you can go and hire a fee-for-service financial planner to help you create that plan because that's going to help, you know, underlie all of your investing goals. You can come in with a really basic nebulous plan in the back of your mind, which is I'm just going to invest some money so that I have more money later. That's not a detailed plan. <laughs> no. <laughs> great plan, but it's not terrible. It's at least something in the starting place. Um, so the plan is going to help you understand, you know, what sort of risk tolerance you're going to have because you're going to have to use that next to figure yes. out what you're going to be buying. Yeah. And, let's talk about risk tolerance. What exactly does that mean? And what, what should people be aware of? And so that's another part that you really have to understand with investing is that 
there is risk involved. There's always risk involved and there's risk in everything. And the risk comes in different scale, time scales, different appearances and, and different like levels of risk. So we talk, tend to talk about like stocks being risky or equities mm-hmm. being risky and bonds being less risky. And so you want to find that nice balance, mm-hmm. but bonds and cash are less risky in the short term. Yeah. But holding just cash is going to be risky for your financial plan in the future because it's not going to grow enough for you to eventually retire on it. Now, if you want to go that way, you can create a plan that lets you invest in pretty much just a savings account, like no volatility risk, no uncertainty there. But because the rate of return is going to be so low, your savings rate is going to have to be huge. You're going to have to live on like less than half your income so that you can save so much more to be able to have that and ensure that there will be enough money there for you to have a nice long retirement later. Mm -hmm. That or your plan is implicitly going to mean that you won't have a nice long retirement. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, there's all these trade-offs that you can make with your plan and your risk tolerance. Your risk tolerance is basically saying, how much am I going to be able to sleep at night? If I buy these investments that are going to go up and down, how much am I going to be able to tolerate those down periods? Mm -hmm. And what are my backup plans if something goes wrong? So Mm -hmm. if you're planning to invest for retirement, then you know you can take a relatively large amount of risk, particularly if you're a younger person such as yourself. You've got decades before you're going to be retired. Mm-hmm. Even if stocks go down in the next couple of years, you've got time for them to recover and potentially be at an even higher level by the time you retire. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to replace your car in three or four years' time, you probably might not want to be putting your car fund into stocks because you just don't have enough time to recover. Yeah. If you do put them into stocks, maybe you do have a super high risk tolerance. You're like, well, even if I don't have the time, I've got other ways to be risk tolerant because I might put my car fund into stocks and then if it crashes, just buy a cheaper car. Mm-hmm. But you have to have that risk tolerance because mm-hmm. that's that's your alternative. If you choose to invest that way and then risk, some, risk manifests itself, you end up with less money yeah. than you have to deal with the consequences. If you're not prepared to deal with those consequences, then you shouldn't be investing in that risky way in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. It's actually something that me and my husband have been uh, kind of experimenting with in the, since like the fall, um, both of us uh, bought some stocks and some ETFs, mainly in like the weed industry, just because everyone's like, oh, you know, it was just kind of very trendy. And we're like, you know what, let's just put a little money in there. We've never bought individual stocks before. For me, I always thought I was like very, I mean, I am pretty risk adverse, but I wanted to just set aside some money. I'm totally okay losing. So it's, it shouldn't be a big deal if things tank or whatever. Because I just wanted to know what the experience was like, because I know people talk about like, you know, stock investing oh i made so much money blah blah blah. but also there's the emotional part where it's like and you lose it all no one really talks about that because they're embarrassed (laughs) so i wanted that we both uh you know have been doing that for the past i guess hmm, four or five months or whatever and of course like just my luck once i i was i I didn't realize it because you never really know we bought kind of at the top but we thought things were going to go up they crashed then i lost two (laughs) hundred dollars And it just kind of goes to show it's like, yeah, I I think my initial instinct that I am pretty, you know, I'm like balanced. I'm not uh, too much into, you know, doing the risky thing. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) Yeah, but that's also a great example because, um, you know, you didn't put your retirement fund all into it. Goodness, no. Yeah, I was like, like, it was like experimenting, but still being safe, right? And and even when it went against you, you lost 200 bucks. Yeah. You know. For some people, 200 bucks is a weekend in Niagara Falls at the casino. 
Yeah. Like that's money that you can afford to gamble and lose. Totally. And so if you keep it in that perspective, then, you know, you can have some riskier sort of side bets. Uh, you know, the clever rhymey name is core and explore. Mm. So you got most of your money in a core, uh, well-diversified index fund, and then you're just playing with a little bit for interest sake or to totally. be able to generate dinner time conversation. It's made, yeah, it really was just for fun. And also, like, even though I say I lost $200, technically... Yes, but also no, because I haven't actually sold those stocks. I'm just holding on to them, praying that they'll go back up and I'll make my money back. And that's another thing, too. Um, my husband was invested in a couple different things. I only kind of chose a few stocks. But uh, when things started to really go down, he invested a lot more money than I did just because he, he could afford to. Um, he We were talking about this, and wow, did we realize how emotional, like, especially he got. He's like, it, I mean, weed stocks specifically are so volatile. They just go up and down every single day. It was just crazy. And and he would just go crazy. Like he was doing research every, he would like get up in the morning, get really excited to check his like Questrade account. Like it was just, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of taking over your life. I think we need to take a step back and just like not do this. This is, because it can, can kind of consume your life. I know lots of people that are really into stock investing. I mean, that's all they talk about, which is fine. But as long as you, you know, kind of like you said, you know, play around with that, but don't make that your kind of main engine for your retirement plan. Because you never, you just yeah. don't ever know what could happen. And, and even when you're not speculating on the hot industry of the day, um, you know, some alternatives to doing something like a really simple index investing plan, people might say, oh, you know, invest in 40 or 50 dividend paying companies mm-hmm. and you'll be relatively diversified. There'll be stable companies who get dividends. We love dividends. Yay, yay, yay. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that is then you're still spending those evenings and weekends researching companies. Yeah, You're still watching your stock portfolio a lot more than you would if you were just like, it's, it's in the market, the market's doing whatever the market is doing and I can't control it. And, you know, it's sort of admitting that you can't control it mm-hmm. and there's nothing to be done except to invest and then wait mm-hmm. is very freeing because then... Yeah get the investing problem taken care of your money's invested for your future but then you don't have to sit there and spend all this time and effort and worry over what's happening day to day but uh, a lot of these other strategies involve all of that uh, kind of mental energy and focus and you mm-hmm. have to really like it yeah like it, is your husband enjoying his he time? He, of- I mean, when yeah. he was making a lot of money off his stocks, he was really enjoying it. And he would come down and be like, hey, look how much I made. And then when things started to turn, then he stopped talking about it so much. So from him, I know it was a little bit of a, you know, just kind of fun. It was kind of a hobby. He has lots of friends that do the same thing and they they talk about it all the time. Um, but yeah, it's not certainly not. You know, and we talked about this before he, you know, started investing in in those types of stocks. And like, this isn't, this is like for fun, but this isn't really, you know, our retirement plan or, or anything like that. So, um, which kind of brings me to, I always get the question when I'm talking to someone about stocks and how volatile they are and how, you you know, I, I am of the same mind as you. I, I, I prefer to, to invest index-based. Um, people talk about cryptocurrency because it's a very sexy, you know, trendy thing to talk about. Um, but again, it's, it's just kind of like stocks. Like people just feel like if they buy now, they'll get rich quick. And as we all know, get, like, there's no such thing as like a, an actually good get rich quick because no one sells at the right time. You know, they'll hold on, always thinking that it may go up and eventually it crashes, which I believe Bitcoin did as it because it always has. I mean, come on. What are your thoughts on cryptocurrency? I'm sure you get questions like that all the time. 
Uh, well, it's interesting that the questions were really coming fast and furious in sort of like November, December yeah. of 2017. Now that it's sort of come back from those highs, I don't get any questions. Yeah, no one's like, oh, shit, I lost a lot of money. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah, or or it doesn't look like it's rocketing up to the moon anymore. So mm-hmm. I'm not as interested in it. And, um, you know, it's just it's not an investment. It's a total rank speculation. Um, yeah. I can be even more negative if you want. No, I, um, I agree. I think it's again, fun. Of, if you want to gamble, go gamble, but that's what it is. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah, very, very much a gamble and not, you know, someplace to put your retirement nest egg. Oh my gosh. No. And so some of the stories I've read, I, I remember reading something in the paper about, I think it was this couple from Vancouver, they uh, like liquidated some of their, I think it was maybe mutual funds or something like that to to build their own like Bitcoin uh, mining, mining farm like, or something. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why? I hope they're okay. <laughs> I don't know. They are. <laughs> that was back in like the fall when things were going crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing where like Bitcoin mining is its own um sort of enterprise that people are getting into and and they don't realize that the economics change very quickly yeah um you know as bitcoin gets more and more expensive and you've got the mining rig then you know if you're getting so many bitcoins mined as they become more valuable or whatever coin it is that you're mining as they become more valuable then your mining rig sort of becomes more profitable yeah but then as more people come in and compete with you to do the mining you get fewer yeah hashes discovered yourself you get fewer coins mined and then the economics change for you and you end up making less money as more competition comes in and then if on top of that the coins devalue mm-hmm. uh, the investment suddenly doesn't look nearly so good gosh it just uh, seems and, so and it's complicated and and ever changing and moving and this is a tough space to be in yeah um, and a lot of people have no idea what a cryptocurrency is or how it works yeah. are some of the most interested in it and it scares me a little it scares me too especially just like yeah more people are talking about investing in cryptocurrency than just doing boring old index investing and like they know more about that than index investing and it's just like oh my gosh no it should be the reverse start with something solid a little bit more you know secure and then you can play with your money um yeah so i mean these things are exciting and they're fun to talk about and they make the news yeah Index funds don't make the news. And no, that's a good thing. Exciting. I know, it's a good boring. thing. But you know, it's boring. <laughs> try to try to set it up really simple, really easy to, to maintain, and then yeah. just go and live your life and do the things you actually enjoy. Yeah, and I feel like that was, I think, my biggest issue when I was started investing because I did think it was overcomplicated. And the reason I thought it was overcomplicated was people were talking about all these different things like Bitcoin and stocks and uh, you know options and futures and all this kind of stuff. Hey, those things exist. That's great. But at the end of the day, if you want to just – you know, set yourself up for success, you know, it's actually pretty simple and boring. And I kind of just wish that story was, you know, (laughs) made the headlines a little bit more. It's like, if you want to be a smart investor, just do these four things and you'll be fine. (laughs) And it's hard because like, that's a sort of perennial message. And one I try to get across a lot, but at the same time, lots of people who are talking and most passionate about investing and trying to convince their friends to get investing, like, Hey, don't forget that this is something you should be doing. Think about your future. Yeah. I mean, they're passionate about investing. They want to talk about the complicated parts of investing because they're passionate about it. They've they've got into that sort of thing. And that's not a way that, you know, most of the world should be going into. Like they just Mm -hmm. need to get their money invested and then 
go back to what they do best. I know. And that's really just like a good lesson for personal finance in general, even though like I've somehow made a career out of talking about money. What I tell people is like my goal is just to inform people enough that they can set themselves up, they've got a plan, and they could just live their lives. Like I don't feel like everyone needs to you know, be as into personal finance as I am to be, to set themselves up for financial success. Like you don't, I just like talking about it a lot because there's so many different elements, but at the end of the day, there's a couple things you need to set yourself up and then just live your life. And that's yeah, exactly. Really I mean, to, to make a comparison to another element of personal finance, like there are some people that are really into grocery shopping. Oh my gosh. Like they, it's they, a whole They're on thing. all the coupon sites. The coupons. They're comparing all the flyers. They know the which stores will match which stuff. other ones. All mm-hmm. they got all, and, and they can talk about that sort of stuff for hours and hours and hours. That doesn't mean you need to get into that level of detail to no. put groceries in your fridge. No. It's like you need to know like I need groceries for my fridge. Yeah. And I want to be relatively frugal with it because groceries are an important part of my budget. Exactly. And like that's about it. I know. You can get on with the rest of your life, right? I know. I can and never so get on the same thing with investing. There's all this other yeah. stuff yeah. in the weeds that people will love to talk about who are really passionate about yeah. it. But you don't need to know all that stuff. No. Well, same goes for, I'd say, like travel hacking, something that yeah. I think is great, but I just don't have the inclination or the time or the energy to like do all that stuff. I think it's awesome when someone's like, I got this trip for free from points. I'm like, great. I don't really care. I would rather just like spend my time doing something totally else than trying to figure out how to get some trip on points. I'd rather just make more money so we can afford the flight myself. I don't know. But that's just me. But I think it's great when people get free shit from, you know, flights and stuff. Um, so just talking about the two other steps um, in order to put things into practice. So, you know, we went through making a plan, have that solid foundation, then determining your risk tolerance and asset allocation. So actually, we didn't really touch on that. What? So I, I think you kind of, well, you kind of touched on it. It's like, you want to have a good balance of stock, you know, kind of riskier things and less risky things. So you are born balanced. Is that kind of what the gist is? Yeah, pretty much. And then yeah. um, also sort of decide on your own asset allocation. So there's lots of model portfolios out there that are going to say, yes. you know, get this bond fund, this international fund, this US fund, and this Canadian fund for your mix of equities and bonds. And then you just decide on the ratios that you want. So a very simple rule of thumb that I like to use is to just decide on your overall risk tolerance. That determines how much you're going to put in bonds versus the other stuff, which is what I call the risky stuff mm-hmm. you know, to put super technical mm-hmm. labels and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the risky stuff, just split it equally from us, Canada, and then rest of the world. Some people are going to take issue with that. And I get, you know, that's one of the more common frequently asked questions is, Oh, well, this study says that, you know, Canada is only this portion of the world. So maybe, it should only do this. And, oh, the CPP Investment Board only invests 16% in Canada. Why do you say 33%? And I'm like, right. it really doesn't matter that much. If you want to follow them, then you go ahead and follow them. Yeah. You just have to decide that for yourself. And the big thing is to just decide on it and stick to it. As long as you're not bouncing around, it's not really going to matter because you can't know in advance which of these asset classes is going to be the best, mm-hmm. uh, which op- which uh, asset allocation is going to be optimal. You just simply can't know. Mm -hmm. And so I don't spend a ton of time talking about that. Just pick something and stick to it. Yeah. Um, Whatever basis you want to go. If you want to copy the CVP investment board, if you want to copy the global um, uh, market cap and use that, or if you just want to do an even split, like I suggest as a good starting default, Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't really matter as long as you stick to it and you're not changing it up every six months because you read a new article that suggested some different split. Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. No, I, I like that. Again, simple, right? 
So simple to implement. Um, Step three is account allocation. Does that mean where to house your investments? So that's part of it. And also just to decide which one you're going to prioritize. So Mm. uh, if you're relatively young and early in your career, uh, you'll probably find that the TFSA is going to work out better for you. Mm -hmm. Um, The RSP might work better if you're uh, making more money and especially compared to how much you're going to have later in retirement, they both work to shelter your investment gains from taxes. Uh, And then if you have both, you may or may not want to split up your investments into different shelters that can make things a lot more complicated. I generally just say clone stamp your portfolio into each of your baskets. Mm -hmm. But if you want to split it up, there is some room for optimization there. And there you do have some basis because things like the U.S. withholding tax would make it better to hold U.S.-based ETFs in your RSP versus your other accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, if you don't want to get into the uh, complexity of buying U.S.-listed ETFs, then it matters a lot less. And then, again, clone stamping your portfolio across all of your accounts makes more sense. What does clone stamping mean? I don't think oh, I've sorry, heard that I, before. Sorry, that, that just means to copy and paste. Like, oh, just make uh, it that's what I figured, but I just wanted to yeah. double check. I've never heard clone stamping before. Oh. Sorry, I thought that was a tool in Photoshop back in the day was the clone oh, stamp. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically for most people out there, just using the same asset allocation across all your accounts, your TFSA, your RSP, and your non-registered if you end up having one, is going to be the simplest plan to follow. Yeah. Because it gets more complicated to divide up your asset allocation. It's harder to rebalance when you only have one thing in one account and one thing in a different account. Um, And it's harder to track and follow. And also, um, part of the reason that we talk about asset allocation and having your risk tolerance is that when you start to go down, you see your portfolio balance drop. Mm-hmm. And that's very distressing and a source of stress. If all of your risky assets are in your TFSA, for example, and your less risky assets are in your non-registered account or some other separate account, then you see that all dropping in the one account. And it looks a lot worse than it really is because that balance that you have is across multiple accounts rather than all. So when it's all in one, then you see the drop more mm-hmm. in perspective. And then that asset allocation and your risk tolerance works better for you. Mm-hmm. So lots of reasons, I think, to um, try not to go too far down the road of optimizing. If you yeah. want to spend the time and the effort, and again, there is going to be some mental effort involved, yeah. then you know there is room to optimize. Mm-hmm. But just decide whether or not you're going to optimize and then how you're going to do it. And then whether you're going to be prioritizing your TFSA over your RSP or whatever. Mm -hmm. All the more reason to grab your book to really understand everything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. And last but not least, there is step four, which is, all right, you've got to figure it out, your game plan. And then it's really like, okay, so where are you going to go? So the options you've listed, and again, this is for Canadians, uh, Americans, there's, uh, you know, it's a whole other kind of ball game of options that you can do. Um, Yeah, Americans is a lot easier, actually. It's like, just go to Vanguard. Oh, yeah. That's true. That is what most people talk about, Vanguard. So there you go, Americans. Yeah. Vanguard. I guess they have, like, Betterment and some of the other... Yeah, they have, they have quite a few uh, different robo-advisors. I know Wellsimple is now in the U.S., too, so that's an option. So And same from the U.K. I know it's in the U.K. So, and uh, like, I should really talk to someone from the U.K. I would love to know what's going on over there, just in terms of anything financial just because i feel like it's it's totally a different situation but anyways in your book you talk about kind of the, uh, these four different options um of course first is investing with tangerine which is actually the that was actually where i first started and it was kind of i would say kind of like one of the first robo advisors because it was completely online you're buying index funds and all that kind of stuff it's a really good starting point easy peasy 
after that. Uh, or as a, an alternative, there's robo-advisors now everywhere. So that is another option, completely online, easy peasy to get started with. Um, next is TD Direct Investing. So that is a little bit more hands-on, right? Because it is mm-hmm. more like you are in the kind of driver's seat. It's not automated for you. And then uh, last but not least is investing in ETFs. And so that would be, I guess, using some kind of discount brokerage like a Quest rate or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so each of those options is going to work for someone to get investing. Mm-hmm. And the way to choose between them, I tried to make it very simple mm-hmm. as sort of like a one-dimensional trade-off, is that Tangerine is going to be the easiest. Mm-hmm. Robo-advisors, uh, just because they're a little bit newer. Newer. So some people are like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. 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 And because their processes aren't, you know, are sort of in flux. Um, again, they're not going to be very difficult. No. Like, yeah. Talking like, like a tiny, yeah. 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 Based on, you know, Tangerine, super, super simple. So simple Robovisor yeah. is going to be like a touch more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> just a tiny bit. Um, but then, you know, some people are also a little leery of them just because they're new. And, and you can never fix that. Some people are just not going to be early adopters. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tangerine robo-advisors will sort of group them together. They're going to be a little more expensive than the other, other options, but they're super simple and easy. Mm-hmm. TDE series, they're going to be in the middle in terms of cost and in the middle in terms of complexity to manage. And then ETFs are going to be the most hands-on, but they're also going to be the cheapest. Mm-hmm. And so basically depending on where you fall in that trade-off between how easy you want it to be versus how much you want to uh, try to save in your investing costs, you're going to find a solution that works for you. Absolutely. Easy. Easy peasy, super simple. Um, so again, I, I definitely suggest everyone grab a copy of The Value of Simple, the second edition, which is now updated and uh, has a bunch of great information. But you also have a course, which I think is amazing. So it kind of is a great companion to the book. I always kind of suggest people read the book first and then take the course just so you can really dive in and have a better understanding. But what are some things that you have in your course? What's it all about? So the course uh, sort of evolved out of the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, So part of it is that people wanted something that was a little more interactive than just reading. Uh, So the course combines video and text. So you're sort of always moving your brain into a different mode. So you're like, Mm -hmm. you're reading a couple articles and you're watching a video of me or a video of walkthrough of some um, slides and screenshots and step-by-step uh, and then back to reading some text and looking at an infographic and stuff like that. Uh, so you're getting it in different mediums, but also goes into a lot more detail because I just have the ability to do that. Yeah. And it's particularly some of the details that are changing a little more frequently um, where it's you know really difficult to change things in a book and then yeah. come out with a second edition and all that. Uh, it's relatively easy to change in an online course and to respond to people's questions. Uh, so there's going to be more detail in there. Like in the book, I quickly go through you know, what's, if you have a taxable account, if you're investing in TFSA or RSP, it makes it super simple. Not only do you save on uh, taxes in terms of letting your investments grow tax-free, but it means that you don't have to track anything. You don't mm-hmm. have to report anything because it's all tax-free anyway. Mm-hmm. Once you have filled up that room and you're investing in a taxable account, it becomes a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I go quickly through what that table is going to look like where you're going to have to report your capital gains. And then in the course, I'm able to go through that in a little bit more detail, a little more step-by-step, and also have a look at some of the other tax forms you'll get, like a T3 for your ETFs, and see what boxes are going to be on there, what they mean, how they affect what you're reporting. Uh, And then also just more detail on the processes and the behavioral aspect, because that is really, really key. Like, 
um, just understanding how to make these transactions mm -hmm. is something that people need to know and something that I found wasn't really addressed by other people and why I really wrote the book. Yeah. But once you know that, that's just sort of like getting you started. And then you're started and going. The other key thing is to not overcomplicate things, to not get sucked down the rabbit hole of buying weed stocks and mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies and whatever the next hot thing is going to be next year mm -hmm. that people are super interested in. Like if you want to put a little bit of a play money into a core and explore, that's fine. But to not start complicating your portfolio and finding that in you know, a couple of years, you have what we used to call the advisor two for, which is where you keep going to your uh, advisor at the bank every year. And then after 24 years, you got 24 different mutual funds in there with no coordination between them. Yeah. And you don't want the same thing to happen to your uh, portfolio where you keep getting distracted by things or new things come out. And then soon enough, you got a really unwieldy portfolio that's hard to manage. You want to try to keep it simple and ramming that message home mm -hmm. is kind of difficult sometimes and also the other tips and tricks that are going to help keep you on track like you know just simple things like using your calendar like if you've got google calendar or calendar app on your smartphone mm -hmm. you just organize your life put some of your investing milestones in there too like if you want to remember to rebalance once a year yeah put a yearly reminder and you can set it up and yeah. have it automatically propagate for the rest of your life, life. as long as that yeah. digital calendar exists you'll get a yearly reminder to rebalance your portfolio Mm -hmm. exactly. And you know, it doesn't have to be New Year's. Like some <laughs> people will think, oh Maybe yeah, New not. Year's. <laughs> yeah, and that's the point I make. I'm like, I would never rebalance. No, my that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, I set it up for the end of March because that's when I'm starting to get all my stuff together to file my taxes, anyways. Exactly, so that's a great idea. Actually, I like that. You're already in that mode. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. So. Okay, and where can people uh, learn more about that course? Uh, so the course is at course.valueofsimple.ca, and that'll forward you to the Practical Index Investing course, uh, which is hosted by Thinkific. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to really dive into index investing with myself. I really appreciate it. Um, and where can more people find more information about you and uh, follow you on social media? So uh, I've got a personal blog at holypotato.net. I talk about all kinds of things. I've got all kinds of tools up there. Uh, it is an old blog and it looks old. And one day I might get around to I refreshing. I feel like you said that last time. Not <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah, I know. I probably said that three years ago. Yeah. In a second. It'll probably be another yeah. six years before I ever actually get around to doing it. Uh, but there's some nifty stuff on there like... Um, in addition to talking about investing, there's things like the CPP calculator that I made mm -hmm. up and um, just general tiny articles that sort of come up and don't belong in a perennial thing like the core of the book. Uh, the book's website is valueofsimple.ca and any um, that has a little mini blog associated with it. And that's basically just focused on things related to the book. So when one of those providers changes their interface and I got to let people mm -hmm. know, that'll be on that version of little mini blog and if I ever get something like a library talk going um, then I mm -hmm. usually let people know uh, in that space as well and then of course on uh, Twitter I'm at holy underscore potato awesome thank you so much John for joining me on the show it was a pleasure chatting with you again after so many so many years <laughs> I'll have to not wait so long till next time <laughs> well whenever you want to have me back I'm happy to come back and I know I'm sure there will be plenty of developments in the investing world in another year or two yeah. All right. Thanks, Jessica. 
And that was episode 158 of the Mo Money Podcast with John Robertson. Check him out on his blog, holypotato.net. Um, also check out his uh, investing course, Practical Index Investing for Canadians. Uh, quick link is just jessicamorehouse.com slash investing course. And I will link to it in the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 158. So you can check more about that out. Um, yeah that's yeah that's that um a few more things to share with you uh stick around just a few words about this episode's sponsor first track your hours format the estimate work out taxes capture your expenses chase that late payment prepare the invoice submit the proposal welcome to the worst part of being a freelancer otherwise known as paperwork the good news is that the good people at freshbooks have created a ridiculously easy cloud accounting software for freelancers that turns tackling these time-sucking, never-ending tasks into no big thing. Send a polished invoice in 30 seconds, set yourself up to get paid online in two clicks, and manage your expenses by taking pictures of receipts from your phone. Oh, and if you need to whip up a quick proposal to land the gig, FreshBooks has you covered too. Now you can include an outline of your project, scope of work, and a timeline as part of your estimate. No more switching software, no more fussing over style and formatting, and most importantly, no more wasting your precious time. To find out all the ways FreshBooks will transform how you deal with your paperwork and to get a free 30-day trial, go to freshbooks.com slash mo and enter a Mo Money podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, that's freshbooks.com slash mo and enter Mo Money podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. All right, like I mentioned last week, some exciting things in the works. Um, but the most exciting thing is obviously Rich and Fit is back better than ever. So uh, if you've been a longtime listener or follower of mine, then you already kind of you remember hearing about Rich and Fit. Um, me and my pal Jacqueline Phillips, fitness coach, she's been on like the cover of Inside Fitness. She's killing it in the fitness industry right now. Um, we teamed up a few years ago when we were working together to create uh, Rich and Fit a kind of lifestyle brand about getting rich and fit. So fitness, personal finance, marrying both of those things, because those are kind of people's biggest struggles in life, right? Um, and so we teamed up to create the Rich and Fit Bootcamp. We created that last June and launched it a few times, closed registration, uh, opened it up again uh, this January. And now we've actually split that bootcamp up into two different courses or two separate courses, rather. Uh, we have Rich and Fit Financial Foundations and Rich and Fit Fitness Foundations. So if you want to focus on just your fitness, focus on just your finances, or do one after the other, now it is possible to do so. Uh, and if you would like to learn more, go to richandfit.co or just check out the show notes. I'll, of course, include some more information about that. But uh, if you want to take this time in your life to really you know, take care of yourself, your finances, your fitness, your health, um, balance is a really big ba balance and mindfulness are really big um, proponents of both of those courses. Uh, if you want to, you know, get started with us, um, well, I want to help you do that. And by that, I mean, I'm going to give you a special discount since you're a special podcast listener. So if you uh, head on over to the website, go to the courses page, 
and you go to the checkout, make sure to use promo code MOMONEY, M-O-M-O-N-E-Y, to get 20% off just like that. And uh, then you can get started working on uh, getting rich and fit and uh, being part of our uh, private Facebook community for rich and fit students as well. Uh, But of course, if you just have some questions about it, you don't know if it's right for you or you don't know what it's all about, you want someone to talk to, you can talk to me, Jessica at JessicaMorehouse.com is where you can find me over email. Happy to answer any questions at any time. Um, That is it for me for now, but I will of course be back here next Wednesday for another episode. Make sure to uh, keep on uh, sending me those iTunes reviews. I am uh, compiling a list and we'll be doing some shout outs very, very soon on a future episode. So uh, if you want to get a shout out from me on a future episode, all you have to do is spend two minutes and give me an iTunes review. Would really appreciate it and just want to know what your thoughts are. Um, Yeah, that is it. I'm going to stop yabbing and I'm going to get back to whatever I was doing before this and I will see you back here next week next Wednesday same time same place talk to you later this podcast is distributed by the women in media podcast network find out more at womeninmedia.network